Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour podcast on the topic of ophthalmic emergencies with Dr. Ann Dwyer. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2021 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Dwyer has practiced at Genesee Valley Equine Clinic in New York since earning her veterinary degree from Cornell in 1983. During her career, she's pursued interests in equine ophthalmology. She lectures nationally and internationally and has published multiple papers and book chapters on equine ophthalmology, including ophthalmic emergencies in the field published this year. In 2012, she was named an honorary member of the American College of Veterinary Ophthalmology. Dr. Dwyer served as the 2013 president of the AAEP and is currently vice chair of the advisory council for the veterinary college at Cornell, is a member of the Cornell Zweig committee that allocates funds for equine research, and she is on AVMA's council on education. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Dwyer. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, I, I know this is a passion topic for you, and I, as a horse owner, know this is an emergency for me when things occur. So let's start with helping veterinarians train their horse owners. So how can they train a horse owner to know that a horse has an ophthalmic emergency? Some emergencies are very obvious. Uh, for example, a torn eyelid is something no horse owner would uh, would overlook. However, I think the train horse owners about is the urgency of uh, ocular problems. Because if a horse shows up with a swollen, closed, or tearing eye that resents handling, which I think all horse owners can recognize, Sometimes they have a chance, they have a tendency to say, well, let me just give it a little banamine in a few days. And I would say this is one situation where they really should call for assessment because uh, no one can know just what lies beneath that swollen eye without an examination. And there could be a problem that could threaten sight. Um, also, any change in appearance of the eye is something they should be concerned about. And if you're not sure if it's normal or not, usually if you just go over to the other side and compare it to the other eye, you can see if something is odd. So if an area on the eye looks white, yellow, blue, or red, that should be cause for concern. Wow. Okay. That's some good tips. And those that's some good little things that vets can take out to the field to train their, their owners too. So how common are emergencies involving eye in equine practice? They are incredibly common. And I actually have some numbers on that from our own practice. I did a survey for one year, 2019. Our, vet, our practice has five DVMs. And I found out that we had 615 emergencies in that year. And of those, 16%, or approximately one in six, was an ocular emergency. And then I dug a little deeper because we always see a lot of eyes in the fall. And I found out that in the months from July to October, in the Northeast at any rate, um, ophthalmic emergencies were 21% of all of them, or one in five, 49 emergencies out of 229. So they're a big deal. Wow. Uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts on why um, that, that you saw those upticks in the fall months? 
I wish I knew. Uh, sometimes it, there, it's obvious because we have a plant called burdocks that bloom that that um, uh, blooms in the fall and it can get stuck in the eye as a foreign body. So that's obviously seasonal. But other things that we see, I don't have uh, an explanation for. We see more immune-mediated disease in the fall, and we see more um, we, more corneal ulcers, maybe insect-related. I, I don't know. Okay. So what are some of the most common problems that would prompt a, an owner or to call a vet and say, help, I need you? Well, they run the gamut, but there are three that that uh, our practice, at least statistically, has as our top three. Again, I surveyed our data and I found that over a six-year period, we saw 557 ocular emergencies. That's a lot. But breaking them down, 380 of them were corneal ulcers. So absolutely, that is the number one problem. And then we had 120 acute swollen eyelids that when once we examined them, we found out they weren't associated with an ulcer. That's actually a fairly minor problem. And then we had, surprise, surprise, 57 eyelids that were torn, which is a fairly extensive um, uh, emergency in terms of surgical handling. Yeah, I remember when my mayor in Kentucky tore her eyelid. And I mean, that was, that was very critical. My vet and a a surgeon came in and were able to do a repair and you couldn't tell afterwards. So, but she said getting to it quickly was critical. Absolutely. Same day, as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, so what, what else besides those top things might a veterinarian see if they go to the field for an, an eye emergency? Oh, a long, long list. Um, the big ones that I would be mentioning would be a stromal abscess, which very few veterinarians know how to recognize, but it's a very serious problem. That's a, that's a white or tan yellow spot that doesn't take up fluorescine stain that represents an abscess buried deep in the cornea. Uh, equine recurrent uveitis, uh, glaucoma, a foreign body in the eye, enough trauma to fracture the orbit. Those are just a few. Okay, so let's back up a little bit for these vets preparing since we've now learned that veterinarians better be prepared for these in the field. So what kind of supplies and equipment should an ambulatory vet have on hand in their vehicle to treat these equine eye emergencies? Uh, first of all, a lot of the materials that you need, you're going to have in your truck anyways. You need NSAIDs, you need sedatives, local anesthetics, sutures. I mean, you need these things for a variety of emergencies. But I really think ambulatory vets are well advised to think about ophthalmic uh, cases and segregate the uh, equipment and the supplies that they need just for those, those types of uh, cases so that they can quickly find them, take them out, set them up at these, uh, at these cases. Um, in terms of equipment, um, a direct ophthalmoscope is something that's part of everybody's uh, ambulatory package. But uh, most importantly, that direct ophthalmoscope should have a trans illuminator. And here, here it is right here. It's an inexpensive uh, addition that um, goes on top of the direct ophthalmoscope, but it's a handy bright light source that really you can do 95% of your exam with just that tiny $130 um, attachment. I also advise um, that 
ambulatory practitioners have a jeweler's headlamp, which is called an Optivisor. You can get them on Amazon. They're, they're really cheap, like $30. But they're a magnifying device that you can wear in your head that will really help your exam. Um, a bright light, those little military flashlights are great. A headlamp. And I, I regard a tonometer as an essential piece of equipment, um, and more and more practices are investing in these. Uh, people that do a lot of equine ophthalmology generally have a slit lamp that they take on the road and some indirect lens uh, equipment, but that's not absolutely necessary. You can do a fine job without those fancy things. You absolutely need a camera, and pretty much everybody has one in their pocket. It's called an iPhone or a Galaxy <laughs> phone. Um, and a dedicated tote box uh, that that you can just pick up that has all your supplies inside that you might need to treat an eye. And that would be a variety of topical medications, uh, stain strips, SPL kits, uh, tubes to flush nasal lacrimal ducts. And then I carry a few individually packaged ophthalmic instruments. I don't use ophthalmic needle holders when I'm sewing up an eyelid. They're just too, they're, they're nice, but they're just too fine to be used in the field. But I do advise a very short, the shortest pair of Olsen Hagers you can find, as well as some ophthalmic forceps, Bishop Harmon and small Adsons, small mosquito hemostats and Stevens tenotomy uh, scissors. And those can just be sterilized individually and used as needed. And lots and lots of for aught suture, because that's that's the best size suture to use in my hands in the field um, for these eyelid tears. Okay, and so most of these emergencies are gonna be seen on the farm. Mm -hmm. so what, can, what can be done in the stable environment to help the veterinarian optimize conditions for examining and treating an eye injury? I always talk to the owner when I'm on the way so that uh, things are as ready as possible. And it's really very simple. I need a dark area. I need somewhere to pick up to hold the horse's head up. And I need, I need to have no distractions or no things that are going to disrupt my procedure. So I simply tell the owner, look, we can do this in a stall, we can do this in an aisle, but please clear it. And if there are windows or doors that let light in, drape some uh, blankets over them to block the light. Um, and then either build me a bale table out of hay bales or shavings bales, um, cover hay bales obviously with a blanket, or bring in a recycling bin. Give me something that I can rest that horse's head on. Um, and then the other thing is uh, wind is problematic. So if you're in a windy area, set up some kind of a wind block. And please don't drive tractors or let dogs run around when I have sharp instruments next to your horse's eyeball. <laughs> oh, good tips. And again, some good points that veterinarians can, can share with their owners, like you said, on the way to the farm. Okay, so we all know that horses don't like their eyes fooled with even when they don't hurt, but when they're painful, examining can be really tough. So how do you do regional anesthesia and sedation when you want to look at these eyes and you have to be in them? Uh, well, the first thing I do is think about efficiency because I want to move right from my exam to my diagnostics to my treatment. And that's why it's so helpful to have right there 
because as I discover what I have, I can go right from one thing to the next to the next and take advantage of whatever level of sedation I have induced. If it's a minor problem, xylazine is just fine. If it's a major problem, you absolutely need detomidine. And I have found, this is a new tip, if you, right when you get to the barn, if you give the horse one cc of ACE, IV, uh, and all these would be IV sedations, um, it, it smooths out your, um, and extends your sedation, and it's a very safe thing to do. Um, you need to provide uh, regional and topical anesthesia for most uh, conditions, and to do that, all veterinarians day one out of vet school should know how to do an auriculopalpebral nerve block. Uh, any resource in ophthalmology has instructions on that. Um, there's three different sites. You only have to inject one site, but you could choose one out of three. And uh, I do advise having a large supply of 25 gauge, 5 eighths inch needles for any of these nerve block injections uh, so, you, so you can be accurate with them. Depending on the problem, sometimes I also uh, administer a supraorbital nerve block, which is just infiltrating a little bit like a CC of local, either lidocaine or mepivacaine, right over the foramen that's above the um, dorsonasal uh, eyelid. Uh, and that will reduce sensation, whereas the auriculopalpebral nerve block will actually paralyze short term the uh, the upper eyelid and, and eliminate that blink reflex that's so hard. And then I have a great tip for practitioners. So please, anybody listening, um, take this down. We've all been in the situation where we put topical anesthetic on the horse's cornea and the problem is pretty severe and it doesn't work very well. And you put more on and it still doesn't work. Uh, if you're in that situation, which I am quite frequently, you can achieve excellent corneal um, anesthesia if you just take uh, 30 seconds and put about a quarter of, C of a cc of mepivacaine into the as a subconjunctival injection. That will be a real game changer for you. And it's not in very many of the books, so that's a great practice tip. Okay, so reiterate that one more time what you just said what is what is the best way to do it when you're not getting the the eye anesthetized i would put um propericane on a q-tip and uh, hold it against my target site in the dorsal conjunctiva uh for about 30 seconds to numb that conjunctiva and of course the horse is sedated uh, um and then i would load a about a quarter of a cc of mepivacaine into a one, a tuberculin syringe um, attached to a 25 gauge, five eighths inch needle. And then I would administer that quarter of a cc of local anesthetic into the subconjunctival space. Um, and it really, really helps your corneal um, topical anesthesia. Okay, great. I just, because that was so critical, I wanted to make sure that we, we covered it well. So, okay, so describe when you get to an equine eye emergency, what's your examination process? Um, the first thing I would say is don't rush to the obvious problem. For example, a torn eyelid, I've seen some veterinarians not even look at the other eye. You still, you're there for op ocular health. 
So it behooves you to do a full examination of both eyes. You want to start with the whole horse. This won't take long, but take a minute to do the check the vitals and check for comorbidities like laminitis or Cushing's disease, a body condition, that kind of thing. Then you want to institute your cranial nerve exam um, that's going to test your pupillary light reflexes, menace, dazzle, blink, and observe the um, function of the facial nerve on both sides of the face. This is a 30-second thing, but you don't want to skip it. And then you want to kind of slow yourself down. Think of yourself like a pilot getting ready to start an airplane. They don't let pilots just start an airplane, so they go through their whole checklist. And um, you wanna start from the outside and go to the inside using your bright light. Your transilluminator is just fine as long as the battery's charged up. And you may wanna add the magnification from the, from the jeweler's visor to help you see what you're looking at. You wanna proceed through the skull, the adnexa, the conjunctiva, the cornea, anterior chamber, the drainage angle, uh, which would be the limbus of the cornea. Then you wanna look at the iris and particularly you wanna make note of pupil size. I find many inexperienced practitioners kind of skip this part. Whereas the, the, the size of the pupil can tend to tell you an enormous amount of information as to whether the inside of that eye is irritated or not. So be sure to note pupil size. Then inspect the lens, um, look in the vitreous for densities or cloudiness that would in indicate um, inflammation, and finally the fundus. And uh, I'm here to tell you, you can see the fundus with that transilluminator. It's again, one of those little tricks that you have to learn, but you just hold the transilluminator up to your chin and um, next to your own Eye and you ha just have to tweak the angle a little bit, but as long as the pupil is open enough for you to look through, you can do a fundic exam that way. And you can use a direct ophthalmoscope or an indirect, but <laughs> dirty little secret, I use my transilluminator more than anything else. Um, and then if you have it, for sure, use your advanced uh, equipment. Take eye pressures with your tonometer, um, look at everything with your slit lamp. But I know many of your, your listeners may not have this equipment. So don't feel like you can't do equine opto if you, if you just have basic equipment. You absolutely can. I could do it with a flashlight, I think. Well, that's, that's good tips there. So getting on through your diagnosis, what kind of tests and imaging are commonly indicated with eye issues? Uh, pretty much every eye that uh, you're seeing for an urgent reason should have fluorescein stain applied to the cornea. This would check to see if the epithelium of the cornea is intact or not. And that's a basic uh, skill taught well in veterinary school. It also can check for a few other things like leakage of fluid from the inside of the eye or patency of the nasolacrimal duct. But most, mostly on emergencies, you're checking for the epithelial integrity. If the cornea is found to be disrupted by positive fluorescein staining, you definitely want to perform cytology right there on the spot for everything except for the very most minor erosions. Uh, that's a whole other podcast in itself, but cytology is a skill that uh, you should not be afraid to do. I am a huge proponent of photography. I'm sitting here at my computer and my eye photos say I have 80,000 uh, pictures on my computer, and I would bet 65,000 of them are eyes. 
And again, your iPhone is just fine. Um, I either use an iPhone or I use a uh, compact digital camera. Specialists would, of course, use an expensive DSLR, but I'd be afraid of sitting on it in an ambulatory situation. Um, and then if you, there, there aren't very many cases that need ultrasound, but there are the occasional ones. And I want to tell all your listeners that whatever you use for ultrasound of any other part of the body, you can adapt in field situations to um, ocular ultrasound. It's fairly simple, the types of things you're looking for. And I'd say choose whatever probe you'd be using to image the metacarpus on a leg and go through as too involved to tell you how to do it, but uh, it, it will work just fine for transpalpebral or, or orbital um, ultrasound. Okay, well, let's, uh, you've given us some tips on diagnosis, but let's go through some of the common problems. And let's start with the outside of the eye, since that's how you tend to do your diagnosis and your examination, and progress inward. So what are the most common emergencies affecting, say, the eyelids in the periocular region? And maybe some treatment tips. Today's Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the maker of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their ongoing investment in our industry, profession, and community through programs such as the Respiratory Biosurveillance Program at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. Um, well, horses being horses, <laughs> they get a lot of trauma. <laughs> and um, trauma around the eye uh, can be either blunt. Um, and if you know that the horse has run into something, a starting gate, a horse trailer, a stall door, whatever, be thinking about the fragility of some of the bones that surround the eye. The orbit is probably the one we're the most scared about because that's a, a ring. And if that's fractured, that can actually push the eye um, anatomy out of alignment. Uh, but what's probably the most common thing is that the sinuses near the eye fracture quite commonly, that the maxillary sinus or the frontal sinus. And those should be treated even if the skin is intact as open fractures because um, if, they, if there's sharp trauma around the eye that doesn't involve the eyelid itself, um, that's a very simple repair. There's a big uh, blood supply around the eyes, so you just want to repair that promptly and you're going to look like a hero because that heals well. Um, the second thing, and this is a call we get all the time in the summer in the Northeast is a horse that shows up with really acute eyelid swelling. Uh, and the eyelid is very swollen. Um, and you should be aware that the anatomy of the conjunctiva, the eyelid, is such that the uh, any kind of irritation can swell it to four times its normal size. So it can be so turgid and tense that when you try to part the eyelids, you can only get it a few millimeters apart. Um, Though the you would worry, of course, about a corneal ulcer being um, at the root of the problem, but really quite frequently, this swelling is prompted just by acute allergy. And it's quite alarming to the owner, however, not very serious to the horse. 
But it behooves the veterinarian to go out and inspect the situation um, acutely to find out if it's a serious problem like an ulcer or if it's a minor problem like allergy. Um, and the, the, if, if the veterinarian can't part the eyelids to look at this, the whole cornea, they're pretty worried that maybe there's something underneath there that they can't see. And my advice to all of you uh, checking a turgid eyelid is to check the pupil size. If the pupil size is the same as the non-swollen eye on the other side, the likelihood is, is that you just have an allergic um, blepharitis and it's going to be better almost no matter what you do within uh, a day or so. If the pupil is small and you can only see just a little sliver of the cornea, I would treat empirically for corneal ulcer and give the horse NSAIDs to bring the swelling down and come back in a day or so to reassess. That, that's some very good advice right there. And what about eyelid tears? Again, I mentioned my mare had this once. So, and, and horses, I don't know how they find these places to tear their eyelids. I can tell you how they find them because I've done a little detective work and I can tell you that 90% of eyelid tears are preventable because 90% of them come from bucket handles. Uh, if you look around, you'll find the bucket in the stall and you'll either find blood on the wall or the, the handle will be all um, mishmashed. Um, these bucket manufacturers make the handles for the bucket with a J-shaped um, thing that goes through steel that goes through the loop that holds up the bucket. And then they put a little plastic cover over that and they crimp it together. Fine, when you buy it. But then when the horses rubbed on it or the tractors run into it or something, the little cover gets lost and the J part gaps. And if you look, it's just enough space for that horse when they're rubbing because the flies have been out to go up and down the bucket handle and it really feels good. So they go way down and they get their eyelid trapped in that J and then Horses being horses, they pull back and halfway rip their eyelids off. So I spend every call policing stalls like the bucket Nazi, and I hand out uh, rolls of electrical tape. That's all you need, or duct tape, doesn't matter, anything. Just tape up those J handles. Um, however, we still see plenty of eyelid tears because people don't do that. Um, and I will say that these can really make the veterinarian look like a hero. Um, however, they can also make you look like a devil if you don't repair them properly, because if you don't repair them properly or if you trim off a piece of the eyelid margin, um, it, you, can, you can really sentence that horse to a lifelong painful dysfunctional eye because of the irritation from the hairs and the eyelid function. So I encourage all veterinarians um, to, that might be uh, having to treat an eyelid tear to spend a little time with the references, just learning how the principles of how you repair these things. Um, you absolutely need to repair them in two layers. You have to do the conjunctiva and then the skin as two separate layers. If you don't, if you just sew the skin together, it's just gonna act like a hinge and uh, you're gonna be in a real mess in a few days. Um, you do want to um, use quite small suture for this. And another secret, um, this is a place where uh, my, my favorite size suture is for aught. And 
I will use absorbable suture both on the conjunctival layer uh, and on the skin layer. I don't worry a bit about putting absorbable in the skin layer, but I will remove the skin sutures later on. And I do favor uh, simple interrupted sutures, not simple continuous for the conjunctival layer. I, some texts say the opposite, but I, I have the best results with simple interrupteds. Okay. And let's move deeper into the globe itself. So what's the most common emergency affecting the cornea and what kind of treatment is appropriate for disruption of that ocular surface? Well, as I referenced before, the very most common ophthalmic emergency of any sort is a corneal ulcer, a disruption of one or more of the layers of the cornea. Um, and when you, when you find these, you need to grade them in your mind as superficial, meaning um, perhaps just epithelium, um, mid-level, deeper into the stroma, which those can be very serious, especially if they're chronic at all, or very deep, which would be ulcers that would threaten the, the integrity of the eye. Those, those could rupture. Fortunately, in my hands, um, very deep ulcers are really, really rare. In vet school, they kind of make it sound like you see them pretty frequently, but I, I don't think you do. Um, the next thing I'd like to address is the fact that most veterinarians think ulcers and they think infection. And they have kind of a stock uh, favorite antibiotic that they like to use as a first line of defense, which is just fine. Uh, I, I agree that many, many ulcers are infected. However, not all of them are. And I think it behooves us if you're dealing with anything other than a slight superficial erosion that just occurred, um, those it's fine to treat empirically, and I would encourage you to treat them empirically. But if you're in any kind of a lesion that gets into the stroma, uh, especially if it's towards the middle level of the stroma, you really need to do some diagnostics. Because while you can prescribe treatment at the emergency visit at the farm, some, a small subset of these may be an, an outlier type of ulcer that is, does not have a primary um, simple traumatic or infectious etiology. And your cytology will catch those and it will tell you what you need to do to modify your treatment if it happens to be a different sort of ulcer. So when you're at the farm, you want to do certain things. Um, you're always going to dilate the pupil you're, uh, with atropine. Um, for your treatment. You're always going to uh, give the horse NSAIDs for the pain and the inflammation. You're always going to debride the ulcer uh, if it's got any chronicity to clean it up just like you would anyone. And argue that would always take cytology. And then you're going to do your best guess at the farm of, well, I think this should have some antibiotic um, ointment to uh, cover a broad spectrum of possibilities. But then, if you're me, that night, you're going to bring your cytology back to your lab. You're going to stain it with DiffQuick, and you're going to look at it. And then, if you find something you don't like, like a fungus, like eosinophils, like lots of neutrophils, you're going to call that client up and say, hmm, you've got to come, either I've got to come back or you've got to come and pick up uh, a different um, uh, suite of medications. 
because besides um, infections, and of course you always want to detect a fungal infection if that's there, um, and those are very serious, that you would detect with cytology. You want to know if it's if it's bacterial, if it's um, gram-positive, gram-negative, rods, cocci, that can suggest your best um, anti-infectives. But there also are subsets of ulcers that are immune-mediated. Those would have lots of eosinophils. Um, if you have lots and lots of neutrophils, you've got to be quite scared about collagen. I don't know how you pronounce this, melting when the collagen gets lysed. And those you want to put on serum. Um, look for a foreign body. And sometimes you have negative findings where you don't find any of those things. And that may be an indolent ulcer. Uh, that you need to to go a different direction for. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's a lot of information that I, I think veterinarians <laughs> to be taking that maybe not everyone is doing. So some good tips there. So what diagnostic tests do you use if the corneal surface is actually disrupted? Okay. So we've got an ulcer. We know that because of our fluorescein staining. Um, I would photograph it because it's very easy for us to um, convince, not convince ourselves, talk us into thinking on a recheck that something's getting better when it really isn't. And photographs don't lie. And photographs will document the size and the geographic mapping of that ulcer. So I pretty much take photographs of everything. Cytology, as I said, which is very easily performed in the field. All you need besides your sedative and your topical anesthetic are a few microscope slides and um, uh, a scalpel blade of any size other than 22 because you're using the, the blunt base of the, of the, of the um, blade, not the sharp part. Uh, and that's all you need other than a, a case to carry the slides back to your office and some diff quick stain back at your office. You would follow with debridement, which is really just a continuation of the, the motion that you would be doing to catch your cytology sample. Um, and then, as I said, I would stain and interpret uh, the slides back in-house. Uh, if you're timid about doing this, uh, I actually have published a paper in the AAP proceedings that's a few years old um, that walks you through it. It's pretty simple and it's got a whole lot of examples of interpretation. But if you still feel timid, do this. Take your own cytology slides, do the best you can interpreting them, and take a separate set and send those off to a lab. And that way you'll get some feedback as you're starting to work through this process. But believe me, it really is simple and you do the horse a favor by getting your results back fast. Um, I don't culture all that often, uh, but I do culture if something presents really nasty and it's obviously got some chronicity, I will culture those. And then you just want to modify your treatment according to the results of your cytology. And anybody who's listening will need to study up a bit. Um, I, again, would refer you to that AEP cytology paper because that's really practical for the kinds of things you're going to be seeing. Okay, great. Again, a nice reference. Okay, so let's keep going deeper. So what kinds of intraocular problems? Uh, the major intraocular problems that I see are um, usually related to uveitis, or, which, and uvia, if you remember what the uvia is, it's the iris 
the ciliary body, and the choroid. Essentially, it is the vascular layer of the eye. Uh, again, another topic for a whole podcast. But um, uveitis is, is horses that are at risk for uveitis are certain breeds. Those would be Appaloosas, warm bloods, and draft horses. And as research goes on, we're finding out other breeds that may have risk factors, often which can be tested with genetic testing. Um, in an area like where I live, which is a river valley in the Northeast, Another major risk factor for uveitis is leptospirosis. Mm -hmm. uh, and in a very rainy year like this year, I'm expecting lots of lepto cases next year because uh, horses are going to be have higher exposure to that bacteria. And it's kind of a sleeper type thing. They get exposed to the bacteria and they don't say, show eye signs until months later. And then also we can see um, secondary problems that usually are re related to the intraocular inflammation, and that would be glaucoma and bullous keratopathy. Wow, okay. So we know that some eye emergencies can threaten the sight of the horse and could require long-term intense treatment. So can you talk about some of the clinical skills or procedures that veterinarians should master to make this home treatment simple as safe as possible? Sure, um, and I will um, encourage everybody, even if they tend to focus on reproduction or uh, leg problems, um, other parts of the body, to just be um, skilled in these four things. The first would be subconjunctival injection which I think some veterinarians are a little bit afraid to do, but all, all you really need to know is how to sedate the horse well, to tip the, uh, tip the head away from you so that rolls the square of the eye down, and to use the appropriate um, size needle uh, on top of good topical anesthesia. Um, so subconjunctival injection is number one, because often you can help uh, an infected eye um, really get a head start if you inject the uh, appropriate anti-infective in the subconjunctival space. It'll really kind of um, load the eye. Corneal cytology, which we've already mentioned, and that does merit some uh, study, not only of the, the technique, which is quite simple, but more importantly, the interpretation of the findings and what that should, um, should change in terms of your, your treatment strategy. Um, installation and maintenance of a subpalpebral lavage system. Um, and there is a good um, primer on that in the AAEP proceedings, um, I, I delivered, I think in, I think it was 2013, but uh, if you can't find it in AAEP, just go to the Myla International website and they have a free link to that paper, which is a real how-to paper and it covers uh, everything about putting an SPL in and taking care of it and fixing it if it breaks. And then finally, eyelid repair techniques, which we've already referred to. Okay, so it sounds like a lot of these eye emergencies can be handled on the farm, but what about some of the problems that are best handled in a referral center? 
Yeah, I think veterinarians um, should recognize the things that are really bad. And many times um, owners cannot afford what it would cost uh, to go to a referral center, but you should at least offer the options for, offer that option for certain things. First of all, any really serious infection where when you size up the situation, the farm, the owner, and perhaps the referring DVM just does not have the resources or the experience to treat it intensively. A really bad infection uh, needs to be treated at least every two hours, and that just may not be practical. Um, and sometimes I get into situations where I've got really elderly owners who mean well, but they can't, they can't manage an SPL, they can't handle the horse. Just look at the whole situation. A melting ulcer uh, can be handled on the farm, but if you're uncertain about this, they can go bad fast. And so if the owner can afford it, offer referral. Obviously, a ruptured globe or a penetrating injury to the eye um, might require a nucleation, which perhaps the referring veterinarian might be able to offer. But if the owner is motivated to see if this can be repaired, obviously that would need tertiary care. And finally, an orbital fracture, um, because if the orbit gets um, fractured and the, the piece uh, displaces, it can really, um, misalign the eye. It can, it can push the eye down in the orbit and really be a serious problem. And you need advanced imaging and manipulation in order to set that straight. So Dr. Dwyer, you are really a teacher at heart. So what options are available if a vet wants to get more information or training on equine ocular problems? Well, the first thing I would um, advise is what you referred to in my introduction, and that is uh, an article that just came out in Vet Clinics of North America, um, August of 2021. The title of that issue is Management of Emergency Cases in the Field, and it's a nice issue because it covers all kinds of emergencies, and there is a chapter in there on ocular emergencies that I happen to write. Uh, the Myla International site that I um, mentioned before, that's, um, that's very handy. They, they've got a lot on SPLs there because they sell SPLs. There's a couple of CE opportunities coming up that I'm aware of. Uh, one is the First Choice uh, Continuing Education Seminar that's held in conjunction with the Hamiltonian, which occurs at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. Um, that was not held this year, but it's on for next year, August 4th through 5th, 2022. And there's going to be a wet lab on Thursday, on August 4th, that'll go over a lot of um, the clinical techniques that we've discussed. And there's two books I can recommend. Um, one is Dr. Brian Gilger's book, Equine Ophthalmology. Now that is the Bible. That's going to be a, we're on the fourth edition of that, um, and I've, I've been involved in that publication, so I, I happen to know that the fourth edition will be coming out sometime in 2022. Uh, it'll probably be about a $200 text, and it's quite comprehensive, so that's a must for your bookshelf if you're really into this. Um, if you just want a handy reference that you can carry in your truck that's not too expensive, that's absolutely fine in terms of the comprehensive nature for practical things, I would recommend Dr. Dennis Brooks's book, Ophthalmology for the Equine Practitioner, second edition. 
Last time I checked, this book cost only about $80. It's produced by Teton New Media. And um, it's, it's in a format that's spiral bound with uh, pages that are kind of heavy. So it really stands up super well for carrying around in your vehicle. Well, Dr. Dwyer, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Disease Du Jour. I think there have been a lot of great references and tips, and we will try and include some of these links in the article that goes with this podcast on equimanagement.com to make it easier for veterinarians to find this information. And we want to thank our listeners for joining us today, and a special thanks to our 2021 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. We invite our listeners to uh, go listen to back issues of the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can send an email to me at kbrown at equinenetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.